The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. You may be seated. If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, you are welcome to turn with me to Romans chapter 3. We are picking up right where Tracy left off. In Romans chapter 3, verse 27, we'll read that in just a few minutes. If you didn't bring your Bibles, it will be uh, on the screen above. Well, Romans has been uh, a great book, hasn't it? Uh, The book of Romans has just been really a blessing uh, to me. We have been receiving just an amazing dose, a great dose of of just gospel, haven't we? I mean, we have been plumbing the depths of the gospel. We have been seeing major truths, foundational truths as to what the gospel is and and therefore what this church is all about. Uh, I don't know if you were here last week uh, during the second service, but if you were, you'll probably remember uh, that Tracy made fun of my Uncle Frank. Anybody remember that? Uh, yeah, he called my uncle Frank, Frank the Tank. Uh, and the reason for that was, and I just have to admit, I'm on your side, Uncle Frank. Uh, but I have to admit, Tracy did a pretty good impersonation of you. Uh, but what Frank said to Tracy before the second service last week was, you better get this one right. You better get this one right. And he was correct in Well, correcting his preacher, I don't know about that. But he was correct because this is an important passage. These are amazing truths that we are mining from the Scriptures here. We've been covering topics like righteousness, God's righteousness. I mean, when we're describing God, is that not a a great responsibility? This is who God is. I mean, can, can we talk about anything greater than that, we've been seeing in the scriptures truths about the condition of mankind and their sinful depravity that we are lost, that we have nothing in us that is pleasing to God, and we are therefore in need of Him. We've been seeing truths like God's judgment, what it is, how God responds to us being lost and in sin. Last week we began to sort of just barely scratch the surface. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting to the good news of the good news of the gospel, right? It's all been sort of the bad news. The This is your sin. This is your trouble. This is what's wrong with you. These are the consequences. And now we're seeing truths uh, that are the good news. Things, topics like redemption. Things like propitiation. Words like justification. There has just been some rich gospel theology, foundational truths about what Jesus is all about. Well, today, in today's passage, uh, Paul stays true to form. Uh, If you read other letters of Paul to the New Testament churches, you'll find, when when you look at the books as a whole, as the letters as a whole, you'll find a pattern there. Paul gives what scholars say the indicative followed by the imperative. In other words, Paul gives the truth and then Paul gives the application. He, sometimes he splits his 
letters almost in, in half in this manner. He gives, uh, he tells how it is, and then he tells how you should be. He, he tells the truth, and then he gives the application. Well, that's what we're going to see that Paul does in our passage today. He's been describing the gospel. He's been telling about us, us about our condition in our sin. He's been telling us about God's righteousness and, and such. And so now today he's going to say, therefore what? This is your condition. This is what the gospel is. These are the truths that you have accepted and received. Now, how should you live? How does that apply to your life? How should that change the things you say, the things you think, what you, how you treat one another in your places of work, in your places at home, in your church. In our passage today, Paul is drawing a conclusion from what he's already said before. He's going to continue to back it up. And his main point today, if you're taking notes, this is the main point of the whole passage. This is his point. Since your faith is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, put an end to your prideful boasting. I'm going to read that again. Since your faith is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, put an end to your prideful boasting. Let's start by reading our passage, or at least part of it this morning. Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles only. Also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Well, up to this point in Romans, Paul has been giving us Enough reason to not be prideful and boast in ourselves. Has he not? Has not Paul up to this point in Romans in chapter 1, chapter 2, and now chapter 3, has he not given us enough? Has he not made it clear enough? Should we not be able to just have those chapters and not even what he's going to say today? And no, Andrew Norris Ferry does not have anything in and of ourselves that would make us be proud, that would make us able to boast. Paul has said whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're a student of the law or a teacher of the law, the summary is Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's enough this morning to make Paul's main point. You have no place Pride and boasting has no place in your life. He's already given us enough. And that's why he gives us those first words. What then? 
You could read that, what therefore, based on everything that I've told you, what should you do or what should you not be doing? But Paul doesn't stop there, of course. Paul continues to pile on reasons today. Why prideful boasting has no place in the church. Why does pride have no place in the church? Well, the logic of this passage we just read goes like this. The logic of 27 through 31 says you should not boast because God justifies both Jew and Gentile based on faith, not on works of the law. Let me read that again. The the logic of 27 through 31 is you should not boast because God justifies both Jew and Gentile based on faith, not on works of the law. Tracy last week began to touch on exactly what justification is. That was one of those three, remember he pointed out three big words uh, that we don't often use and we see in the scripture often. He, He pointed out justification. Well, what is justification? Justification is very simply the act of a judge in a courtroom case declaring you are innocent. That's real simple, right? What is justification? It's when a judge looks at the people at the people involved in the case uh, and he says, you are innocent. It's that declaration of innocence. And here we find Paul teaching us something new, that we are not justified by our works. When it says in the scriptures that you are justified, that God is uh, what did he say in last week in verse um, verse 26? He says, It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of who? Does God justify me or you because uh, we came to church this morning? Is, do we have a, a checklist that every week we go through and say, well, I, I did this, I came to church, even though it was raining, that's a bonus point. Uh, I, I was tired this week, I was up late last night, and, and I still woke up and read my Bible this morning. Uh, that's a, a check, check, right? Uh, why does God look at us? How can God? That's, that was a great point Tracy made last week, is how can God look at us based on everything that we already know? We're, we're sinful people, there's nothing in us. That God can look at Andrew, that God can look at you and say, you know what? We're in a right relationship because you're good enough. You've done enough good things. You've tallied enough points. Uh, The balance of your good works outweighs your bad works. No, that's not how it works. It can't work that way. But what does Paul teach us here? We are justified by faith. He says, for we hold that one is justified by by faith, apart from works of the law. Is that not the gospel? Is that not what we're about here at Norse Ferry? Isn't that what Tracy and, and Clary and Ham and Robert Smitherman are over in Africa teaching people about? Our message here at Norse Ferry and the message of Christ, the message of Paul, the message of the Bible, is that God created us. He gave us everything that we need. He gave us our sustenance. He gave us our work. He gave us his own presence in the garden. Remember, you find that the God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
they, Adam and Eve had the perfect relationship. They had everything they needed. But what happened? They lost it all. They lost it all because they listened to the serpent and his lies who, who, who said, you don't need God. You don't need God. You need to listen to me. That This command that he gave you to not eat the fruit. No, he's wrong. If you eat that, you'll, you'll have everything you need. And what God told you about judging you and about kicking you out of the garden and, and dying forever. No, that's, that's not true. It's a good thing God didn't stop right there, isn't it? God would have been just to leave Adam and Eve, to leave us in our sin and perish forever for eternity. But what is the gospel message? The gospel message is what? It's creation. God created us. Fall. We fell in sin in our sinful state. And then what? Redemption. God had a plan for history a way, an avenue in which He would redeem us. He would buy us back. He would give us, He would restore that relationship that we once had with Him. And He did it through His Son, Jesus Christ. He sent Him to first live a righteous life. Jesus did what we can't do. He did what the first Adam, Jesus is called the second Adam. We'll get to that later in Romans. Jesus did What we can't do, He obeyed His Father. He was in the wilderness. He was tempted like Israel in the wilderness being tempted. Except He was faithful. He trusted His Father. He obeyed the law. He went through, even when He was was crying, His His body was crying out, I can't do this. Go through with the cross. He said, no God, not what I will, but what you will. He came and He was righteous so that He could give that to you and to me by faith. The gospel says that Jesus came to restore that lost relationship by giving us His righteous condition with God and taking what we deserved for our sins. That's the gospel. When you understand that, do we really have anything to boast about? When we understand fully Romans 1 through 3 that we're lost, that we're sinful, that like he says, none is righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. This is Romans 3.12. No one does good, not even one. Can you really grasp those things? And then grasp the, the good news. Jesus is giving you what you have for free, right? You didn't go out and work for it. You didn't come here and check your list off to gain your righteousness. That's Paul's point this morning. If we rightly understand the gospel in all its parts, then boasting and pride has no place in our churches and in our hearts. If you were to read um, my commentary this week on this passage, uh, if you did read it, you will know that Paul is writing to a church uh, that is deeply divided between Jew and Gentile. Uh, if it's it's really not that hard to pick up on, it's really that not hard that hard to see. 
Uh, if you read chapters 1 through 3, you will find all kinds of references between, uh, referring to the difference between Jew and Gentile. And you have to ask, why does Paul, what's the big deal here, Paul? He says things um, like this, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says those with the law, the Jews, and those without the law, Gentiles. He speaks of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. He asks, what advantage has the Jew? He, asks, he, he, he says, this is inclusive language, he says, for all who believe. That's, that's Jew or Gentile. The, the gospel is for all who believe. He says, God shows no partiality. These phrases are, are giving us a hint. It's, it's more than a hint. It's an obvious, there's a problem here in the Roman church. There's something that Paul is trying to solve. There's an issue, there's division between these groups of people. Going even further, you could go to chapter 9, verse 11, and you would see Paul devotes those whole chapters to explain what's the relationship now. You know, because in old times, in the old covenant, the Jews were the people of God, right? Uh, It was the family of Abraham and his seed that received the blessings and the covenants. Well, well, how how do the Gentiles relate to that now? Uh, They weren't allowed in the temple in the past. They uh, didn't enjoy all these things that we do. Paul spends chapter upon chapter saying, this is now your relationship with one another. He, he, um, in, in chapter 14... Uh, he deals with the issue, again, an issue of Jew and Gentile relationships. There were Jews who, in former times before Christ, followed the law. They would go and make their sacrifices. Uh, they would do and not do certain things that the law said you should do. Uh, and so now that they're in Christ, they're freed from these things, uh, but, but their consciences just won't allow them to do them, their consciences won't allow them to go to the markets, the pagan markets, buy meat that was sacrificed to idols, uh, and then go home and cook it and eat it. They were free to do that in Christ, uh, but but Paul says in chapter fourteen, uh, Gentiles, you need to be aware of their consciences. Uh, you don't need to plow over them. You need to respect their struggles and their weaknesses. So. So, so my, my point in all this is to show you there was great division, there was great trouble, there was, there was pride, there was boasting going on in the church in Rome. And that's why Paul is writing what he is today. Church, you know the gospel. You know that you're sinful. You know that you're justified by faith. So therefore, why this division? Why this pride? Why all this boasting? It's really fascinating to read various speculations uh, by different commentators on how this division came about. Uh, it, it's Again, it's speculation. Uh, but Christopher Ashe, some of you may have his commentary. That's a source that we're using for the commentaries. Uh, that we're writing for the church. Christopher Ashe speculates, and he correlates it with history, uh, that there was a Roman emperor who at one time in the history period of history that the Roman church existed, there was an emperor who expelled Jews from Rome. Uh, a lot of things were blamed on Jews. A lot of things were blamed on Christians. Uh, and, and so they were expelled. And, and so you can imagine 
this church, uh, and the right side had, had Jews on it, the left side had uh, Gentiles on it, in the middle you had a little bit of a mix. The, the leadership was part Jew, the leadership was part Gentile. They get expelled for a period of time. Well, what would we do if half of our elders got expelled? We would probably have to come up with some new elders. But imagine that this group came back, came back to the church, and these former leaders now had no place. That's Christopher Ashe's speculation that they were sent out for a while and then they came back, and this was sort of a source, it was, it was a boiling point uh, as to why there was this division, why there was this trouble between Jew and Gentile. There's really honestly no telling what it was. But if you've been in church for a while, you know that we're all sinful, we're all prideful, and there are any host of issues that can cause boasting and pride and division among churches. We all know that that's the case, and that's what was going on here in this passage. Paul is telling these people the gospel excludes boasting. There is no place for pride among you. Notice in verse 27, he speaks of the law of faith. The law of faith. I really wrestled with this passage this week, uh, trying to understand exactly what it was, what it meant. What He's contrasting the law of works with the law of faith. And as so often is the case, he explained himself just a few verses later. I think verse 31 explains what he means by the law of faith in 27. He says, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. I think what Paul is saying here is that you have to put the horse before the cart, right? I think what Paul is saying here is that gospel faith, understanding that we're sinful, understanding the, Christ, the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith, if you understand that first, then that later leads to obedience to the will of God. The law of faith, gospel faith leads to gospel living. You know what? I didn't understand that growing up. I was very confused uh, in my growing up. Growing up, I was taught well, honestly. Uh, I was in church. My parents are believers. Uh, I knew right from wrong. I knew right from wrong. I knew uh, from my Sunday school teachers that I needed the Bible. I knew that I needed to be reading my Bible often and receiving God's Word into my life. I knew that I needed to have a quiet time. I needed to carve out a, a period of time in my life where I said, you know what, all these distractions, all these things going on, uh, that needs to go away and I need to uh, further my relationship with God. I knew I needed to be praying. I knew right from wrong but the problem was I put those before faith the problem was I put the cart before the horse I didn't understand that 
if I was to approach God, it was not by my own merit. I thought if I do these things enough, if, if I say, okay, on this card I fill out, I'm going to have my quiet time four times a week. I'm going to pray morning and night and at my meals. If I do these things, then surely God's okay with me. And I'm okay with God. I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't understand that grace had to precede obedience in faith. I didn't understand that I was not justified by faith, but rather by works of the law. You know, it was really ironic because in my heart of hearts, I knew that uh, I wasn't able to keep these laws that I had made for myself. I knew that I was sinful, but at the same time, uh, I was a prideful person. It's really honestly pretty embarrassing uh, to admit these things, but as I look back on them, as I look back on them, I realize how stupid and how immature they were. One of the ways in which my pride showed itself uh, was in my uh, display of the Confederate flag. I'm not going to get into this morning issues like states' rights and uh, whether or not the, the Civil War was justified. That's not why I had the Confederate flag engraved on my senior ring. That's not why I had the Confederate flag bolted to the front of my vehicle. That's not why I flew the Confederate flag in my window above my bed. That's not why I looked down at the black people in my school. That's not why I called them names. That's the reason why I flew that flag. was because there was pride and boasting in here. I thought I'm better than those people. I'm of a better culture. I've been raised better. They don't know anything. I was a very prideful person in these ways, and it went hand in hand with how I thought I was justified. I believed I was good enough to gain my own merit with God, and therefore, look at these people. Look what He's doing. Look how He's acting. Look what they're saying. Listen to that culture. I'm better than them. That's why I flew the Confederate flag. It was out of pride in my heart because I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't understand Romans 1 through 3. All have sinned. None is righteous. Together their throats are an open Grave. Pride has a way of rearing its ugly head, doesn't it? Pride has a way of rearing its ugly head. It wasn't until I went off to Louisiana Tech that I understood my condition. All those years I was raised in the church, uh, I was guarded by my parents. They, they, they put that hedge of protection around me. This is right. This is wrong. They, they kept me from doing the things that I really wanted to do. I was in the church. I had friends in the church. Some of you 
were looking over me and would have held me accountable. I knew those things growing up. So some of that unrighteousness in my heart was suppressed. But once I went to Louisiana Tech, I was free. I could do whatever it was I wanted to do. The floodgates were open. My sin was exposed. All those things that I was taught right and wrong, I was doing to the nth degree. But slowly and slowly, actually it didn't take very long. Uh, I didn't finish a whole quarter at Louisiana Tech. I came back before I even finished uh, my finals because it was that bad. I had gone down the tubes that far. And I knew it needed to come home. It wasn't until I got home. I was in my sin. I knew the wrath of God was on me. I was still fighting it. It wasn't until a black man named Rodell. I, I came back and was working for my dad in carpentry. It wasn't until Rodell was in my life and others. But every single day as he was laboring on the job, he was full of praise to the Lord. His faith was real. His faith was genuine. It, it, it seeped out of him. It wasn't until I saw that contrast in, in a black man, right? It wasn't until I saw that contrast between him and me and there, there were others that I really realized who I was. It wasn't until I got back in church and others came into my life and took me to dinner and, and, and just, it, it was everybody. It wasn't one thing. It wasn't until I, I, I had experienced my sin, I knew the wrath of God, and I saw in them real faith, genuine faith, faith that trusted in Christ. It wasn't until then that I understood I have nothing to boast about. I have nothing in me to be prideful of. I have nothing in me to look down upon this person for whatever reason. Pride shows its head in, in various ways, out in the world, in our church. But it wasn't until I understood my sin and God's grace, His unmerited favor, that I could love my brother Odell. Paul says here, you know the gospel, church, so quit boasting. It has no place. It's excluded. Let's continue reading our passage in chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. It's a long passage, but I'm going to try to summarize it. Romans 4, 1 through 12. Paul writes, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Stop there. You see, he's still on this subject of boasting. He's still supporting this command to, to rid boasting from the church. He says, verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks. So he's brought up Abraham. Now he's bringing up David. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He quotes Psalm 32. He said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In this, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or, is, or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Let's finish the passage, verses 11 through 12. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. There's a lot there, obviously. Uh, but I want to sort of summarize what we're seeing here. Paul continues in this passage by giving two biblical examples for why the church should end their boasting. If you were to summarize all that he just said there, all those 12 verses, his point is here's two examples of people whom you would put out there as the greats, right? Abraham and David, you would put out there in the hall of fame, the hall of faith. These are people whom we respect. These are people whom you would think they had it together. They knew what it meant to follow the Lord. Paul says they're an example of why you should not boast. First, he begins with Abraham. He says in chapter 4, verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In verse 10, he makes the point that Abraham was counted as righteous when? Was it after he was circumcised? Was it after God said, do this thing? No. He says it was before he was circumcised. He says he was counted as righteous, considered as righteous before he was circumcised. I don't remember if it was last week uh, or maybe the week before, but during Tracy's sermon, uh, Laura, my wife, leaned over to me and she said, who circumcised Abraham? Uh, her point was, that was pretty gruesome. Uh, if anything would have merited favor with God, surely 
that would have merited the favor of God. But no, Paul's point here is, yes, that was a great act of obedience, but what order did it come in? It came after faith. Abraham was justified. He was viewed as righteous before God by faith. He did not earn it. He did not merit it. He did not check off enough things on his list for God to say, okay, you're good enough. Paul brings up David, King David. One of the things I love about the scripture is that it's so honest even about its heroes, isn't it? Uh, The scripture is so transparent and clear and honest about the fallings, the failings, the, the sins, even of the greats, even of David. I mean, David was the man after God's own heart. He was the chosen king. He did great things. He defeated the enemies of Israel. Righteousness reigned in Israel when he was king. But we know from the stories, right? David and Bathsheba. We know from the stories of Scripture that David was a fallen man just like you and I. But he was a man of faith. And he understood forgiveness. He understood what it was to have fallen short of God's glory, but then God to say, you're clean. He says in Psalm 32, this is verses 7 through 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. Can you in the same breath Say, God, I am a wicked sinner. I'm in need of your mercy. Please do not pour your wrath on me. Don't give me what I deserve. And then in the same breath, say, you're less than me. That's Paul's point to this. That's why he's given us all of this theology. That's why he's given us all of these big points about the gospel. He's saying, why is there boasting among you? You understand grace. You understand mercy. You understand with David what it is to be forgiven. So why are you divided? Why do you boast? I pastored a church in Georgia uh, for about four years. And I got myself into more trouble over this issue over boasting and being pride applied to racism. I got myself in more trouble over this issue uh, than anything else. You would think that as a graduate from Southern Seminary, uh, it would have been like Calvinism or something, right? Uh, You would have thought as graduates from Southern Seminary have this Uh, sort of a character. It would have been me coming in trying to replace the old system of one pastor and a bunch of deacons who really run the place uh, with a system of elders like I think is biblical in what we have here at Norris Ferry. You would have thought I would have gotten myself in trouble over those things, but no, I got myself into more trouble. There were were two families in particular uh, who wanted me gone because I preached about this very issue. There was one night when 
Uh, I was going to be gone for some various reason. I think we were, um, uh, we had a group called Awanas. It was a children's ministry, and they were going to the skating rink, and we, they wanted me to come with them. And so we went to the skating rink on Wednesday night, and uh, I was going to be gone. So I told my chairman of deacons, okay, I'm going to email you a link uh, to a video. It was John Piper's video called Bloodlines. I don't know if you've ever seen Diane's laughing. She must have seen it and probably therefore knows what I received. Um, It's basically a video where John Piper describes a very similar story as to what I've described in my experience. Uh, John Piper grew up in segregated South Carolina uh, and... When he finally came to understand the gospel, uh, he came to this same conclusion. I am nothing. God has given me everything. Who am I to boast? Who am I to be prideful against my fellow human beings? They said in the pastor I church, the church I pastored uh, was in Milledgeville, Georgia. And and by the way, I'm using them as an example um, we all have our blind spots, don't we? Uh, our culture, our generation, we all have our own blind spots. They had theirs, uh, and that's not excusing it. Um, but that was how they were raised. That was how they were brought up. That was the struggle that they had. We have our own. But they said in Milledgeville that in Sparta, Georgia, about 20 miles down the road, uh, that the Civil War hadn't even taken place. Uh, That's how, and I didn't realize it until this instance, but that's how deeply ingrained this fight of pride was. But you know what the ironic thing was about this whole fight that I got myself into? The ironic thing was that the church that I pastored, and particularly these two families, uh, we're, we're really proud of the fact that in, in the good old days, it had been changed at this point, but in the good old days, they, give, they gave 25% of their offerings uh, to missions. They were proud of the fact, isn't that ironic? Uh, we're better than these people. They're not good enough, but, but we're pretty good people because we, we're a good church. Because we support missions which reaches other people. Uh, It was really ironic and it just doesn't add up. But you know what? It's really interesting. That's what Paul's point is here. If you keep reading in chapters 11 through 12, you see that he, he applies it in the exact same way. You know you're sinful. You know the gospel. You know you've received a righteousness not your own. You know that you've been forgiven. So why are you boastful? When you're boastful, you're hindering the mission of God. God hasn't done these things for us, for our little selves. I mean, He has done them for us. He has brought us to Himself for our sake. But does it end there? No. God, the same thing was true of Abraham. God didn't give Abraham his promises of a great family. He didn't say to Abraham, Abraham in Genesis 12, 
I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. Even though your wife is barren, I'm going to give you a son and he's going to have a son. And and they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. Did God do that just so they could be a part of their own little clique? Did Did God do that so they could say, we're better than the rest of the world? No. God has given us and he gave the church and he had a mission also for the Jews to reach the world, to reach the neighbors, to reach those people who are different than you in color and culture, in speech, language, whatever it is, pride and boasting thwarts the mission of God. Look look what he says in verse 11. It says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he makes his point again. He was justified by faith. And then what's the, what's the purpose? Why did he ultimately do these things? He says the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. If we have pride in our hearts, if we boast among one another, Will we ever be faithful to God's mission? It really, this issue of boasting, this issue of pride, it goes beyond just personal sin. It hinders the mission of God. So I ask you this morning in closing, do you know the gospel? Do you know who you are in and of yourselves? Have you come to grips like I did and like so many in our community group who said, I grew up in this circumstance, I was doing well, uh, and it took this to bring me to my knees. Have you been down that path, whatever that looks like? And have you realized that for me to, to be with God, for me to have that relationship that I should have had, I can't earn it. I can't check off my list. I can't do my good deeds. I can't attend church, give to the church, pray enough, whatever. But I need Christ. I need what only He had. He came to this earth. He pleased His Father. He, unlike the Israelites in the wilderness, He was in the wilderness for 40 days. He trusted His Father to provide during His time of suffering. He, when he was on the cross, or right before in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was weeping in prayer and he was sweating blood, even when it was difficult for him, he was faithful. I couldn't do that. You wouldn't have gone through with what his father had given him to do. But he did. That righteous standing that he gained and he had as the faithful son of God, He has said to us, that's yours now. He has looked at you in the courtroom, courtroom of guilty sinners. And he says, by faith, you're justified. In this this passage, Paul is saying, let that affect your daily living. Let that affect how you treat other people in your speech, in your ideas about them, in the 
the way you work with them and the way that you, you, you treat your family and the way that you, you, you interact with your spouse, other cultures. I mean, we have a great lost culture here in Shreveport, don't we? I mean, there is a culture out there that needs reaching. Are we humble enough? Have we been brought low enough and saw the, the greatness of God's gift to us to say, I love you like God loved me. I'm going to treat you like God treated me. This morning, let the gospel rule in your lives. It's not I believe this once and I'm done with that and I'm good now. It's I believe this once, I'm good now, and then it, it changes me. That's Paul's point here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you have exposed the sin. And God, it, it is sin and Satan are, are slick. God, it buries itself deep down in the crevices of our heart. Lord, often we don't even realize that we do what we do because we're prideful and we're boasting in ourselves. God, I pray that you would use your word this morning to expose those places in us. God, it's not a one-time fix Lord, there will be many circumstances. There will be many temptations in our lives where, where pride just exudes. God, I pray that you would expose places of boasting. And God, I pray that you would expose it not with, oh, I need to make this right because then I'll be right with God. But no, look at the gospel. We are nothing, Lord, and you are everything, and you have given everything to us that we have. We're undeserving people, Lord, but your son, Jesus, paid it all. God, thank you for your gift of grace. Lord, I pray you would give us a heart of mission now that we know where we stand that we would bring other people into the fold of all likes, of all colors. God, I do pray for those in our church who are in South Sudan. God, thank you for their heart, for a people totally unlike them. God, it's not easy to go through all those flights and uh, be out in the bush in tents. But God, you did it for us. Your son came down from perfect glory. He had been in a relationship of joy with you, his father and the son together forever. But he humbled himself and came down and lived among us, was mocked, was beaten, was crucified for us who hated him. God, may the gospel reign in our hearts. May it, may it change the things we say, the things we do. Change our hearts and minds. It's in Christ's name.
Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.